Coming up on today's show, special guest, Amin El Hassan from ESPN and SiriusXM. He joins to talk about what he knows about Steve Nash, and he knows a lot, because Amin was working for the Phoenix Suns during the entirety of the seven seconds or less Suns, which of course Steve Nash was the star of. In the interview, Amin breaks down the special qualities that Nash has that will make him a success for the Brooklyn job. Also, what Amin thinks about the Nets third star trade debate coming up right now on The Glue Guys. All right, well, welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello, Michael. I'm not going, I'm not going to do, when we have guests on, I feel uncomfortable with my long-winded hello. I can't do it. Anyways, go ahead. Uh, our guest today is one of the brightest minds talking about basketball today, Amin El Hassan from ESPN. Amin, thank you so much for being here. It's such an honor to have you on the show. I kind of want to hear the long-winded hello now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a melodic, I can't, well, now I'm really on the spot. It's going to be impossible. Brian, do it. Hello. <laughs> uh, shrill. Can you hear it? Can you hear the nervousness? Yeah. That's it. It's a it's a melodic hello. You know what? It's what I've my favorite part of American Idol is the first the first few episodes <laughs> where yeah. all the crazies come out, right? And, That's it. and then you got the one person who can really sing, but then they go up for their audition and then they just completely tank it. That's it. That's exactly what I'm feeling right now. Crying backstage and <laughs> saying. Yeah. <laughs> if the Nets coaching search was American Idol, is Steve Nash Kelly Clarkson or is he Clay Aiken? And that is what we're going to investigate on this very show. I mean, obviously <laughs> you are, your your breadth of knowledge about the NBA is vast, but you have a background, a history with Steve Nash a little bit. W what again was your role with the Suns and what was the time period? So, that you were in Phoenix for? So I worked in Phoenix from 2006 to 2012. I started as an intern uh, and I worked my way up pretty much through all the channels, was video coordinator, was a scouting coordinator, scouted, and then eventually assistant director of basketball operations. So I did a little everything. Um, obviously, all six years I was there, Steve Nash was there. Two of those years, Sean Marks was there, um, and you know, if you're try, if you're wondering like, what what era of Suns history is this, Nash, Amari, Grant Hill, Boris Diaw, Goran Dragic, a little bit Mike D'Antoni, a little bit Alvin Gentry, Steve Kerr, David Griffin, basically everyone who has shaped or formed basketball the way it is right now, like we're all working in the same place. A lot of people were surprised by Nash's hire. I mean, even apparently Steve Kerr was surprised. Bob Myers was surprised. Were you surprised that Nash was hired, that, that he wanted to jump into coaching and particularly to coach this Nets team? Yeah, I was. that's a better way to put it. I was surprised that Nash wanted to jump into coaching because I actually had someone tell me the Nets are looking really hard at Steve to be their coach, you know, a couple of weeks before that news broke. And I said, wow. Yeah, no chance. Steve will never do it. And the person asked me, like, when you say no chance on a scale of, you know, one to a hundred, I said, zero. It's zero. He's not doing it. Like, are, are they going to be the Manhattan Beach Nets? Like, I, I, I just, I could not imagine Steve leaving what is 
a perfect life, pretty much, sit, you know, sitting, being around his family, around his kids, uh, in, you know, living in California, no winters. Uh, he, he, and, you know, most importantly, Steve's a guy that just felt like he had a life, man. Like he's, he's not one of these people who are consumed every waking moment with, with basketball. He's got a life. He's got other interests that he's pursuing. So I just, I didn't see him being a guy who wanted to do this. So I, I wasn't shocked that, that the Nets were interested in him as a head coach. I'm more shocked that Steve Nash was interested in being a head coach. Yeah. And well, yeah, let's look around it from the other perspective, from the Nets perspective. There's a lot of discussion around Nash's hire overall, but not even that is he the right guy. But like, are you surprised? This is, I don't know if it's the best job in the NBA that's available. You know, that was extreme. That's debatable. You know, who knows what's going to happen with Houston? Who knows if you consider the Sixers job potentially better? But it is certainly a job where whatever coach was picked was going to have a shot at winning a championship, you know, over the next couple of years. Were you surprised that the Nets decided to go with someone who has no experience beyond showing up for a couple of Warriors practices and, you know, helping out Kevin Durant in whatever way that Steve Nash was kind of helping out Kevin Durant and even a little bit Steph Curry, but like it was more of just a sounding board thing. Are you surprised the Nets made that move? Um, well, I mean, if you frame it like that, then yes, it would be surprising, but you know, that robs us of the context of it's not just some guy who is working out with Kevin Durant, right? Talk about a two-time MVP, a Hall of Famer, and one of the absolute highest basketball IQs of anyone ever play the game, right? And so when you put it in that perspective, then no, I'm not surprised. But if you just said, yeah, a guy, a former player who, who, you know, lied on the coaching experience, I guess that would be surprising because you're right you know the nets are a team that's with two you know elite players and a very good supporting cast like a supporting cast is literally good enough to make the playoffs if those guys don't play you know i think that that's lost on people sometimes that it's not just that they got two great players it's that everybody else on the roster is pretty good too so um without the context of knowing that steve's the guy sure I, i would say that's surprising but once once you introduce that extra information, like, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's interesting, too, because I hadn't thought about his like just being a contented person in life, which that's obviously way harder to be in living in Brooklyn and things like that um, compared to other places. That's interesting that you just like were like, that's a zero percent. Is that like a source of are you not optimistic about him as like a sort of coaching prospect for like maybe more of those off court reasons? Does that seem like I mean, not to season not too much or whatever, but like uh, having it be like a zero percent chance, like, no, he loves life to going to travel back into the like you know, Myers of a whole NBA season worth of travel. Does that concern you on any level, I guess? That's a hard question to answer because yeah. <laughs> I don't think he, I guess my thing is he doesn't have to do it. That That's that's kind of my take on it. He doesn't have to do it. Tom Thibodeau, who I think is a very good coach, but Tom Thibodeau's not coaching, then he's going insane. He needs to be around the game. And, you know, doing the media stuff, which I thought he was good at, it just doesn't, doesn't get it done, doesn't satisfy that. There, there's a lot of these guys around the league. They're lifers, you call them, right? If you're not doing this, then there's nothing else. There's nothing else out there for them. And then there are people who have interests and have pursued those interests to a point where they can actually do some stuff like that with their life. I think of Baron Davis, right? I think of... Uh, Hell, I think of Greg Popovich. I think of Steve Kerr. I think of David West. I think of Etan Thomas, right? It, it runs the gamut from 
great players to role players from Hall of Fame coaches, you know, all around. The idea is that these people are great at basketball. They take it seriously. They're very smart. But also, I have other interests, and I will pursue those interests. And me pursuing those interests does not make me any less of a basketball person. But also, me pursuing those interests means that I don't need to put up with the bullshit that these jobs often have accompanying them. Because it's not just coaching the Nets. It's not just running the, you know, the, the Phoenix Suns. It's not just uh, you know, playing another extra year at the end of the bench of XYZ team. It's all the stuff that people don't think about that comes along with that job. That has nothing to do with basketball. That you know, if you've got options in life, you can sit back and say, I don't need any of this, and I'll walk away. And so from that standpoint, I, I would say, I won't say it's a concern, but at that standpoint, I, I, that's what I imagine to be the biggest hurdle for him to take this job. But once he's passed that hurdle, and apparently he has, right, is that he wants to do this. And, and you know, part of that is kind of the allure of the coaching in general. And part of it, obviously, this is a very good job. He's not taking over the Cavs, right? Like, he's taking a good job. <laughs> Yeah, I'm wondering if he didn't like sort of like find it in because every time I'd turn on like TNT or ESPN or something, he would they would kind of give like a Steve Nash segment once in a while, like just kind of like it seemed like a very like highly produced like he did a small ball that I was just looking through YouTube, like going in preparation for all this stuff. And he's just like had like a weird 15 minute sit down with D'Antoni when like the Clint Capella trade happened just to talk about how smart they were to be doing small ball so early on and all that. And like, I wonder if he didn't find out like, actually, this is not scratching all of the all of the itches that and longboarding or whatever else he, he wasn't does, so. doing. A whole lot of that, right? Even saying he did those the little segments here and there, he didn't. By the way, he was doing a lot. I, I kind of cringe whenever people say, oh, he's got no coaching experience. He was doing a little bit more than giving pep talks to Kevin Durant, right? He, he was going up right. there, he was working <laughs> right. with him on the floor. And, and think about this, someone who's an MVP and a finals MVP, for him to look at another person and say, you have stuff to teach me. Like, that's not a, you know, don't get it twisted. Like, that's not a small thing that, that, that Kevin Durant, who's as proud of who he is as a basketball player as anyone in the game, could look at Steve Nash and says, oh, no, this guy has more I can learn from, right? I made a joke about, so Sean Marks, after they hired Steve Nash, Marks, I forget who, I think he was on Woj's pod. And Marks said there's three things that, you know, that we that Kyrie and Kevin wanted in their next coach. He literally, you know, literally said those these guys wanted these three things. And one of them was that they wanted a coach that they could respect. And I thought that was so funny that Marks it's not even, you know, a Freudian slip or anything. He literally is saying that they wanted a coach they could respect. How does that sort of manifest itself? You know, you were around great teams with the Suns. How does it manifest itself if like a great player would not respect their coach? You know, I'm I was not a great athlete, so I only achieved the greatest success of being uh, a bench player in high <laughs> the, school. The respect, the respect went downhill. For yeah, you, yeah, for a terrible yeah, high school football you. team. But I like respected my coach because that was like the thing you did when you're a high school student. But like in the pros, it is different. Like and obviously KD and Kyrie and DeAndre didn't we learned didn't fully respect Kenny Atkinson. So how does the, the you know, how important is that level of respect and what is sort of required to gain that respect as a coach? Because not every coach is a two time MVP. Of right. course. Steve Nash is. So, so I'll start with this, right? And this has nothing to do with Kenny Atkinson. I think Kenny Atkinson is a great coach, right? Have you ever worked for someone that in like within a certain amount of time you realized, oh, I'm way better at this than he or she is. I know way more. I know how to do your job better than you know how to do it. 
right? Not, that's not like just not out of arrogance, just an objective, you know, oh, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Have you ever worked in a job like that? Probably not because that's why I'm not successful. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. No, I ever had a teacher that. in yeah. school who was just like, you yeah. realized yeah. like, oh, you don't like, I, when I was a kid, I remember the first time I realized my teacher didn't know everything when they like, mm. she mispronounced a word. I'm like, did you just, have you never said that word out loud before? <laughs> right. So, yeah, so when you, when you are of that, caliber of kind of talent whatever it is that you do it can be very hard to accept instruction and direction from someone like you just feel like you know my knowledge surpasses yours now in the nba i find it to be very much a function of some players not all players but some players think that if you did not play at this level whatever you're saying is non-applicable especially if it contradicts what i think we should be doing right who are you to tell me you never played right that that is a common refrain not everyone has it not everyone follows that way but it is not an uncommon thing that that for for a player to dismiss a coach because he ain't play yeah is that like trending upwards too do you feel like that's a thing that's kind of mm. evolving over time I, I don't know i'll be honest yeah. i don't know i, I think yeah. it, 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 it all depends so there's a level of Kenny Atkinson, no matter what you do, they, or, or no matter how right you are, they're not going to accept it because A, it may not jive with what they want to do, and B, um, they don't respect the source. And so in a weird way, Steve might come in and say the exact, like run the same exact stuff that Kenny did and have the same exact asks, but they'll listen to Steve because they look at Steve as, oh yeah, he's one of us. Not, and not only one of us as a former player, but someone who's experienced the highest levels of basketball accolade, right? Like you are smart like me. You are on my level in a way that, again, not a knock on this guy. Ty Lue, Ty Lue can't say. Ty Lue can't say, I know exactly what it's like to be you, Kevin Durant. Like, no, you don't. Well, you yeah, we all know Ty's most famous basketball moment was him on the ground getting stepped over in the finals sure uh, which that's great you know and that's great for the jokes but i'm saying but even, even okay, yeah like, no, but that, pick, no but that matters like it matters like, to me I, what i'm saying is it's not like oh you, your most famous moment is a moment of humiliation what i'm saying is how can you tell me you know what it's like when you've never been mvp of the league and it's funny i mean during the press conference so steve Hatch had his press conference on wednesday it was very clear that you know he has this relationship with kevin durant and that's been written about and talked about a lot since nash got hired but his relationship or his connection with kyrie is the thing that everyone's very interested in and nash made a very big point about kyrie is one of my most favorite players and it makes sense too you know I mean, they're both point guards, incredibly creative point guards who can do pretty much anything with the ball in their hands. Both of them, Nash is obviously at the playing days and Kyrie with his playing days. What type of impact do you think Nash is going to have on Kyrie? What type of relationship do you think could be built between those two? Because that's so important, right? Like that does matter in the Kyrie equation is how how he can kind of get along in the interpersonal relationships with Durant and now Steve Nash as a coach. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, he, there is a, a pre-existing relationship. Uh, I've, I've seen Kyrie come to Steve's uh, charity events and, and you know support and, and be involved there. So they they are they're they're not strangers. Basically, I think the biggest thing beyond obviously what we just talked about the the credibility of I'm a two time MVP, so I know stuff, right? 
and the cosign of Kevin Durant, which obviously has to carry some amount of weight with Kyrie. Beyond that, I think the biggest thing is that Steve, as we talked about, is a different dude, right? I, I, I enjoy uh, photography. I, I, I have a filmmaking company. I like longboarding. I uh, play soccer. I'm a, a part owner in a soccer team. I, um, I, I do TV analysis for soccer for Bleacher Report, right? Like I, uh, you know, I, I care about the environment. I, I, my foundation is really big into early childhood education, um, you know, and that's something he's very involved in. So when you talk about Kyrie Irving, who's someone who, who and I, to a lesser extent, Durant, people who think of themselves as deep, introspective people, as more than an athlete, don't put me in a box. I'm not your entertainer. I am a, an artist and I am the, you know, like all that kind of outside the box, not quite your regular, hey, let's go to practice. Let's get shots up. Let's win this game. Let's go out to eat or get a drink or whatever, right? Like he's not your typical athlete in that way. That's another reason why Steve Nash is really well-equipped to do this job because he can speak that language. He can speak to Kyrie on that wavelength in a way that, again, just using this example because he's the most basketball-y basketball person I know, Tom <laughs> Thibodeau probably can't. Tom Thibodeau is not going to like uh, go over the lyrics to Rent and, and, and why <laughs> this might be the greatest musical theater we've seen in the last 30. Steve can have that conversation, right? He's that kind right. of guy. Who would you rather see have that conversation? Well, Tibbs or, yeah. or Nash? <laughs> Neither. Uh, Neither. Uh, but, but the point is, it's like he can connect to Kyrie on that level. And Steve has an incredible level of empathy and uh, emotional intelligence uh, that, that allows him to connect with people from a wide variety of backgrounds, but obviously particularly people that I guess we would classify as misfits or outcasts or whatever you want to call the, the, the guys that be, march to the beat of their own drum. And speaking of like basketball basketball things, um, just like listening to his first presser with the Nets, the first first thing out of Steve's mouth when he was asked about like what he plans to do in terms of basketball strategizing was uh, he was like doubling down on defense. He's like, this is going to be a team that's all about defense, which um, seems pretty counterintuitive. I guess I don't know that like Steve Nash isn't known for defense or not known or um, but that doesn't seem like a thing that you associate with Steve Nash or his teams. Do you think that that's because like he's pretty conscious of the D'Antoni relationship and needs to like carve out his own niche early and defenses as sort of unquestionable a niche as anything else? Like, do you get the sense that he's he knows that people are expecting him to do D'Antoni-esque things and he's trying to like zag away from that? Well, sort of? I think I won't even say it's because of Mike so much as it is people establish their identities when they walk through the door, particularly when you don't have a coaching resume. So I don't think any of us would call Mark Jackson a tremendous defensive player. But he came to Golden State. He said, we're going to be a defensive outfit. And that's what they built. That was the reputation they built there prior to Kerr getting there, is that we are going to be elite defensively, and they were. Um, I think the proof of that is we think of Mike as being a bad defensive coach. Rock has got the best defense in the bubble. And Mike said this years now, decades ago, right? He said, you want a great defense? Give me great defensive players, right? The other thing is, Steve, obviously, no one's mistaking him for Gary Payton. But I often wonder if we had the metrics that we have today, would Steve's defense be a little, no one's going to go as far as to go fully appreciated, but a little bit more appreciated in a way that people appreciate, let's say, Steph Curry's defense. Like, of course, there are people who say, Steph Curry can't guard anybody. But 
like if you watch the game and you're in this game, you understand no one, it's not pick up ball at the park. We're not going, your man is this and that's my man. We're rotating, we're funneling people, we're playing team defense, we're helping the helper, we're doing all these things. And so Steph is good in that. Steve led the league in charges like three or four years in a row. But do we ever talk about that? But now, like, we go head over heels that Kyle Lowry isn't on the all-defensive team. He led the league in charges because that's a stat that's readily available now to the public. But that wasn't the case when Steve was playing. So I say all that to say part of it is, yes, you want to establish your identity. Who you are when you walk through the door is what people are going to expect of you uh, moving forward. It's very hard to change that first impression. And part of it is, yeah, like I think Steve gets a bad rap. He was not a great individual defensive player, but he was an excellent team defender. He was in the right place at the right time, and we were able to execute schemes with him out there. What do you actually kind of anticipate that Nash would kind of roll out there from an offensive system? Because the Warriors were great pre-Kevin Durant, and then they get him, and they basically turned into an ISO team at the end of the game when he was out there. And I would imagine that the Nets are going to kind of be ISO heavy, some pick and roll with Kyrie, but really it's going to be like, here's the ball, Kyrie, here's the ball, Kevin, let's maximize your possessions. And then when you guys aren't on the floor, Karis LeVert, if he's on the team is going to be, you know, the main ball handler. Like what type, what is this team going to look like on the offensive end of the floor under Steve Nash? Is there anything that is it going to be D'Antoni's sons or is it going to be more like D'Antoni's Rockets, if anything? I, I, that's the part where I think only Steve knows and I don't even know if Steve knows, right? Steve might be at a place where he's still developing what it is his playbook is going to be. Um, and I don't think Sean Marks hired Steve Nash for his X's and O's. I think he hired him for his ability to get buy-in from his stars and to coach up uh, the guys who aren't stars further down the roster. And I think whatever it is that Steve comes up with, the most important part is he gets the buy-in. Because as we mentioned with Kenny Atkinson, you can have all the X's and O's in the world. If they don't buy into you and what you're selling, is it unfair? Yeah, but that's kind of part of the job, right? I thought Fred Hoiberg in Chicago like actually had some stuff that he that was interesting and could have been successful. But if half your locker room is saying, go fuck yourself, buddy, I don't care how good your plays are. It doesn't matter. The part of the job is they have to listen to you. If they don't listen to you, then it doesn't matter. And so, you know, it, it, we're in a place in the NBA now where what's more important, that I have the right ideas or that they'll listen to me? I think, I think we're in a place where, you know, with player empowerment, all, they got number one has to be, will they listen to you? And, and, and what about Steve's personality makes him that guy, right? Like, I think the most interesting thing is Sean Marks literally dropped the term EQ when he first started talking about Steve Nash. Yeah. The outside perspective, you know way more than us two. The book on Nash as a player, ultimate teammate, incredibly intelligent. And I talked to Tim Kawakami of The Athletic, and he described the way Nash views basketball is more like Tai Chi. You know, the flow of movement, the where you go on the court affects the four other people on the court should be going a, a certain other way. Everything's interconnected, right? That it's more, it's not triangle-ish, but it is, I mean, that's kind of the triangle. So what is it about Steve Nash that you think that he does, that he is going to be able to communicate and be able to get these guys to buy in more than just like, of course, that he's one of the great point guards of his era? So Steve has an incredible ability. First of all, obviously, he's a basketball genius, right? But we've seen time and time again, basketball geniuses sometimes can't explain the genius, right? They just are. It just is. No greater example of this than Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson might be the smartest basketball player ever ever right but 
wasn't great at coaching, right? And we mock him for his tweets because the tweets always say something super obvious, right? If Anthony Davis and LeBron combined for 80 points, there's no stopping the Lakers, right? And we all laugh like, no shit, magic, ha, ha, ha. But I submit to you, and I said this on Howard Beck's podcast, if everything were obvious to you, how would you know what is enlightening for others and what is obvious? If everything in this game, every time you watch basketball, everything you see on the court, it's all obvious. Things like, oh, he's got a tendency to, uh, to uh, you know, <laughs> uh, drift a little before he comes off the screen. Like all the, think about all the little nuances of the game that when you're watching a basketball wow. game that you don't notice, right? Until someone points it out to you, right? Imagine if all of that were as obvious to you as Anthony Davis and LeBron James combined right. for 80 points. <laughs> right. You'd never know what's supposed to, what, what am I, you, you know, am I? What, what to comment I, on, what to yeah, rise to I blowing the importance with, of commenting Am I blowing your mind this? is good. It's, I don't know. It's the best. This is a great take. I love this take. I'm going to 100% steal me. this. Every time like, I, like, I look at Magic, I'm like, it must be so frustrating being that fucking smart and no one gets it, right? Nobody gets it. And either you say it and no one knows what the hell you're talking about or you say it and everyone says, duh, of course we know that. It's, an, it's a lose-lose situation for him. Steve, what Steve's gift is, is his ability to see it and then translate it for us morons, to know what, what is obvious and what is not obvious to our dumbasses, right? Part of this is built, like when you talk about what Kawakami said, Steve gets that from soccer. Soccer is a game of spacing, right? You don't want to crowd in one's place or another. So every, maintaining spacing and also what you do does have an impact on everyone else because if you enter here, now you brought another defender here. Now we got some crowding now. So we always try to maintain spacing. We used to run drills in Phoenix, which I thought like everyone, this, cause some of this is like my ignorance. I thought like everybody does this. Everybody knows this. But as I grew up and traveled and left Phoenix, I realized, no, a lot of players don't know about this. So we have a drill literally where when we do this with young players, the assistant coach is dribbling. And if I dribble towards you, you got to start running away from me along the three-point line. But we have to maintain space. The faster I'm going, the faster you go. The slower I go, the slower you go. So that that space is always constant until a point where you either are going to have to cut or you're going to have to come greet the ball. And so dribble back, come back forward. Okay, I'm dribbling towards you. Now I'm dribbling back this way. Always maintaining that spacing because it's it's frustrating for me now to watch basketball and see like two guys in the same corner. Jackass, somebody go, somebody leave. Right, like, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. That is like top three <clears throat> offenses when you see two guys in the same space that obviously you know that shouldn't, that's not how basketball right. works. So, it's so frustrating. So, so Steve's ability to explain those things, I think, is, is very key. The other thing he does is he breathes confidence in a way that most people have not ex experienced that kind of confidence in their life. And I, what I mean by that is, uh, Roger Bell told me this on, on the radio that when most point guards, they pass you a good pass and you bobble it or you miss the layup or you miss a wide open shot, at, at the least they'll give you a stern look like, hey, don't fuck up my assist. At the most, they, they just freeze you out and say, I'm not going to, I ain't going to pass you the ball anymore because you, you obviously don't value it. Steve, you know, Roger said he's a my bad guy. So Steve would do it, and even if you messed up, he said, that's my fault. I should have passed it to you sooner. I should have passed it with a little bit more air under it. I should have bounced it instead of – he'll find a way to take the responsibility and say, you'll get him next time, and then the next time down to put his money where his mouth is, he'll look for you specifically. 
to prove to you, I trust you. I think you're great. You're going to get this right. And so we had guys come to us and have career years because you're, you know, you're believing in yourself in a way you never believed before because the two-time MVP said so. And you kind of just take his word for it. And, that, and that's the other, other way I think he connects and, and can coach guys up. That's interesting. And I'm, and I'm wondering, and this might be just like outside of your purview from <clears throat> Phoenix, because I'm thinking about the Lakers years where this is just this giant sort of political calamity. And here's Steve Nash, like a kind of legendary floor general who's now his all of his EQ and all of that means nothing because he's just being absorbed by this like star power fueled monstrosity. And do you have any sense for like what he was feeling or doing during that time? Was he going like insane? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, the, <laughs> no, what was, the number yeah. one thing he was feeling was hurt because he was injured. He yeah. was injured and right. he was never healthy in LA. And so it was frustrating for him to know that even when he was playing, it was a much lesser version of himself. Um, and I think, you know, there were a lot of influences there that, made stuff difficult, right? And this was clearly an organization that where not everyone was on the same page, right? And mm -hmm. that's, it's hard to make that work. Even as a great player, it's hard to make it work when not everyone is on the same page. Um, I think there's a difference here in Brooklyn is that you've got ownership and management absolutely on the same page. And then you got management and head coach are lifelong friends, right? They've known each other since... Steve was at Santa Clara and, and Marcy was at, at Cal. So it, it's a, the relationships are all there for us to get rid of all the agendas and well, we really wanted Phil Jackson and all that shit. Like they don't have any of that in Brooklyn that they, and those are things that were happening in LA. Well, cause I always think about it cause I'm fair, you know, like the, the nets are cursed, right? So like you know, <laughs> it is, it is almost a sure thing that something invariably will, will go wrong. And I just like, I wonder how he if he, <laughs> if, he dis that? if he despairs in in those situations or if he can like you know work. Steve, through it, no, you Steve, know, Steve's but, an incredibly yeah. positive, optimistic person. Yeah. Um, you know, he's like I said, he's a guy that you mess up and he'll take the blame, just just to give you the optimism that he because he knows I can mess up. You know, there were plenty of years where Steve was either top five in turnovers per game, but he, he didn't care because he realized. I bring so much value. Those turnovers don't really mean much. Uh, you know, I, I saw Steve, you know, in a playoff game, throw a left hand behind the back, thread the needle pass in traffic to Mars Thurman for the dunk. And I remember saying, why would he even attempt doing that? And some, I can't remember, I think it was Griff. He said, when you're a genius, sometimes you want to test the limits of your genius. Right. This is a guy that you can't get him down, right? Other than physically, I don't feel right. But in terms of when I'm in my space, you can't get me down because uh, I, I know I'll get him next time or whatever. But not all players have that. So he understands I can carry that burden so that they don't have to, so that they can have their confidence. All right, let's just take a quick break and let's hear from some of our sponsors. And then we will come back and talk a little bit about what the Nets may need to do in the trade market. First, a word from our friends at DraftKings. Now is the time to celebrate. That's right. Football is here. The kickoff to football's 101st season. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all users a no-brainer to start the season. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this. Have you heard of a football team losing by 100 points? 
Well, for week one, DraftKings is ensuring that even if Kansas City were to lose in a historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 points for all users. So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That is a no-brainer. Plus, DraftKings has given away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter their survivor pool, and you will instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. This is what you need to do. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TOSS, T-O-S-S, to take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That's promo code TOSS, T-O-S-S, to get in on all the action for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for more details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And final ad here is from our buddies at Roman. And of course, talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually, it's just something that we like to brush it off or blame ourselves. Something saying things like, lost my mojo. Or if we have to avoid excuses, oh, I had a long day at work. Honey, I'm, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com glue and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle. It's football season, by the way. But now there is Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com glue today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com glue. GetRoman.com glue. Now back to our interview with Amin Al-Hassan of ESPN and Sirius XM. One of the more like broader things that's been happening over Twitter since Steve Nash, I mean, I think you kind of know where I'm going to go with this, which is the the white privilege argument surrounding Nash. And to me, it's almost undeniable that there is white privilege for sure in this case. I don't know if it rises to the level of like, this should be the prime example of someone of white privilege getting uh, someone the job. But, you know, it's been talked about so much. Where Where is your mind at on when we talk about Steve Nash getting hired? And I think it's an important conversation because executives in sports are white, typically. Typically, the people who become coaches are white. And there's a direct correlation between that. A lot of there's not a lot of opportunity a lot of time for candidates of color to get these opportunities because the system is built the way it is right now. How how can we grapple with the white privilege aspect of Steve Nash? Do you even view him as having white privilege in this circumstance? No, I don't. Um, I, I talked about this on the jump. He didn't. He didn't. Been, and he talked about it in his presser. He said, "I absolutely cut the line, but it ain't because I'm white. It's because I'm a." Again, two-time MVP Hall of Famer, right? 
And we've allowed people to cut that line with a lot less resumes to do that. Um, you know, and, and so the, the, you're right. The, the good thing that you brought up it is absolutely a conversation that needs to be had in general, in general, white privilege and hiring practices, right? Why are front offices overwhelmingly white? Why are all the black coaches and black front office people in the NBA overwhelmingly former players, right? If I'm uh, a white guy that grew up in Queens and went to college, I, I can have a – there's multiple, multiple, multiple examples of guys just like me who didn't play but are, you know, are working in the NBA versus me, a black guy who grew up in Queens and went to college. At the time when I started working, there weren't many. There was like a handful of people across the league, and even now there's still not many. You look – overwhelming, you look at front offices, like, yeah, like the VP of the, the Miami Heat who started as the director of analytics is Shane Battier ever heard of that name before, right? Like, not to say that Shane isn't smart and Shane doesn't know the numbers, Shane but I'm just saying, like, Shane had to be that to get that job. Um, and, and so uh, the, the number of Maasai's, if you will, are few and far between in our industry. Having said all that, in this game, our game is built on the backs of superstars. It's the reason why any of us have a job, whether you cover this game, whether you work as a coach, whether you're... Well, even if you're a low-level player, the reason why there's money to pay you is because stars built this league. And the way we pay them back is, yeah, you don't have to be an intern to do this shit. You get to, you get to cut the line, right? And so it, the irony of people screaming about, I can't believe when Mark Jackson, like Mark Jackson who went from a TV booth to a head coaching job, Doc Rivers who was about, was about to get his thousandth win who went from a TV booth to a coaching job, Magic Johnson, who went from a TV booth to a coaching bag job, back to TV booth, to president of the team, right? And all of those dudes, Larry Bird, got you know, in, in, in Indiana, all those dudes had less experience walking into that job than Steve Nash does have right now. So it's just ridiculous. It is just something where people want to latch on to something in the sense that um, uh, this is the best way I can put it. Everyone loves player empowerment until it does something that they didn't expect, right? Player empowerment is great, da-da-da, yeah, the players deserve to have the power. And wait, what? The star players want this guy who also was a star player? Oh, I don't like that player empowerment. No, it doesn't work that way. It works the way it works. If you believe in this tenant, then you have to be good with when it picks the people you didn't want to get picked. It's like saying, I believe in democracy, and then the people vote for somebody I'm like wait, wait wait not him though like well it's kind of you kind of have to roll with it that's the basis of our democracy and you can't otherwise say either a well to hell with it or b well surely someone cheated right the idea that oh so sure this isn't what the democracy really wanted surely someone cheated to, to make it happen you kind of have to accept your l's yeah, and I, I think you bring up all the names of all the ex-players who went, who jumped the line, right? Steve Nash isn't the best case for white privilege gone wrong in the NBA, right? I think if like, I don't want to name names, but if like Brian Scalabrini suddenly just got plucked, but Brian Scalabrini is a smart guy, right? right? So who knows? I can't go down. Well, I don't, it's not, like, it's you don't a, really want to walk. White privilege isn't about dumb people getting the job. White privilege is about it's exactly that white people getting the privilege of the benefit of the doubt of not 
like not having the accolades or the acumen in the way that black well, people it's, would, it's, right? Yeah, I, I would say white privilege is uh, white, just inherent whiteness giving someone an advantage. Yes, yes. And, and I will say this one thing, and I mean, you know this, is there's very few white players in the NBA comparatively. Mm-hmm. And if there are two white players on a team, not necessarily they'll always be friends, but like their whiteness is something that they do have in common in a league that is mostly made up right. of African-Americans or people from Europe or whatever. So particularly, I mean, obviously Marx is from New Zealand and Nash is from Canada. When they're on the team together- but see, So, that's uh, so I'm going to stop you right there because that, that's a good logical place to land, except having been in that locker room, I know we had one of the most inclusive locker rooms. Because if you ask me who Steve Nash's best friend on the team was, Roger mm-hmm. Bell, that's his guy. That is his his road dog, right? And then, but then like Boris was great with him and Barbosa and, you know, obviously Marksy and Eric Piatkowski and, uh, you know, a, a, you know a, a Mar- Amari was, was aloof to begin with, but that's a lot because he was young and these guys were old and, and kind of married and stuff. And yeah, Amari was a young guy, right? But uh, Jason Richardson and uh, um, with Jared Dudley later on, you know, and Grant Hill, obviously. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think what I just named there, if you were paying attention, is oh, what a very diverse locker room, right? You got guys, crazy diverse, guys from South yeah. America and guys from Europe and guys who are black and guys who are white and guys who grew up in you know middle middle class suburbia and guys who grew up really tough in hard scrabble, you know. Uh, situations but and and jared dudley Dudley. like hey they'll they'll let you know san diego ain't always always pretty right but but the reality is steve was cool with all of these people and he was and and when we did things we did things as a group like they would have we'd have team dinners and and there wasn't the clickishness that you are right to assume does exist in some nba locker rooms Right. But a lot of that comes down to your leaders. Are your leaders clickish people? Are they inclusive? Just because me and you don't have on a surface level a lot in common. Am I just going to be like, oh, that's just him. Let him do what he want to do. I'm going to hang out with my friends here. Or am I going to strive to make this an an inclusive experience? Steve Nash is that kind of leader. It's an important discussion to have, particularly it just always is because a lot of shady stuff happens in the hiring processes of sports teams where typically is a relationship between this person and this person. And then that person gets hired. And, you know, I love the Nash. I love the Steve Nash. I, I love everything that you've laid out that he is high EQ. He understands how to what makes different people tick. He's a tremendous basketball mind and all of that. I think the only thing you could take uh, a little caution with is one, the inexperience, but you know, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of potential behind the inexperience. And two is it did feel like the search is was lacking in broadness, even though we were getting reports that, you know, Jason Kidd and Jeff Van Gundy and Ty Lu, you know, Jock Vaughn is going to maybe get it. And maybe Greg Popovich, all that smoke that never really well, uh, materialized. I would say this, this is my rebuttal. It's like, OK, that was what was reported. How do we know who they talked to? How do we know how broad their search was? I didn't, because they didn't do the next thing where they tell you every hey, <laughs> they Mike, the, the three rounds right of interviews, right? Like it, it, it's it, it's the it's the same thing where people are like, oh, uh, I mean, you don't love your kids. Well, how do you know? Well, because I've never seen you post anything about it on Instagram. I don't I don't need to do. Yeah. This. Do people say that to you? Not, oh, my Lord. People I have seen not about me, but I have seen yeah, people yeah. say that about people <laughs> like so yeah. about well, about yeah, yeah. famous people. Like, oh, so and so famous people. Yeah, I know. Why? Yeah. Oh, why? You never see them post pictures of their kids like. Yeah, they don't. 
they're not obliged to do that, to share their personal private life with you. Much like teams are not obliged to share their list of coaching candidates with us. Unless if you're the Knicks. Unless you're the when Knicks. In which get... case, you live everything for the gram, right? Right. right. Like, oh, this is what I had for lunch. <laughs> Click. <you Yeah>. <laughs> um, before, we, before we lose it, because I know you have to get out soon, I got, we got to have, the third star debate is constantly raging. Everyone is worried. So many people, Nets fans, love Karis LeVert because he's this homegrown prodigy that the team has built up, and we've seen him get hurt and then come back and play better and then get hurt, come back and play better. And, you know, everyone wants the best for Karis LeVert. But the constant question is, is he, you know, is he the third star? Does he fit with Katie and Kyrie? Do the Nets need to make some kind of big trade before the season to solidify their contender status and all the things that they need to do to maximize the window of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, their stay in Brooklyn? Where do you come out on the Karis LeVert third star trade debate are you a person who says give it time or is it something that actually there is no time you got to go and you got to make the big trade now because everyone else is making big trades yeah my stance is always pretty consistent on this you need to tell me who we've written if if we're oklahoma city 2016 and you're saying we're going to get carmelo anthony i'm saying yeah that ain't gonna work not because what you know not and it has less to do with carmelo more to do like what does our team actually need because the worst thing that Golden State did was it convinced people that just get me stars. Doesn't matter. I've got to have names that I've heard of before. He's an all-star game. And they didn't realize, no, no, no. These guys fit. There is a system. There is a, a, a synergy going on here. And even as you're right, they devolved into ISO Durant towards the end. But at the beginning, it was Durant running their shit. And it was amazing, right? Because it fit. Hey, we're a system that values high IQ, great shooting, and the ability to pass and defend uh, multiple positions and Durant says, Oh, I check all those boxes. Now, if it were Andre Drummond, if it were, you know, what about Bradley Beal? Throw, just throw I'm just saying, like, I'm trying to think of other guys that don't necessarily have the skills that fit what Golden State had and needed. It wouldn't work as well, right? Same thing here, right? If I look at Brooklyn, I say, Forget about star caliber. Like, what do the Nets need? You look at this Nets roster, like, what are we not good at? I'm asking defense. You <laughs> defense right. i mean okay and what else i mean they're good on ball handling they're good on shooting i, I to me it's like they we've just got, we've got a, a plethora of playmaking that's the right. i mean we're just got so much so it, which is a good thing only one would ball. it be yeah. fair to say that you guys probably need someone who's probably larger of stature who can guard multiple positions and also space the floor right is that a fair thing right that's fair it's fair but it's also like you know steve steve nash is a small ball Minded I'm, coach, I'm, I, I didn't say we got to go get Shaq. I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Some, wait, you're saying Shaq's going to the Nets. Yeah, exactly. right. <laughs> you heard it here first. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but the idea is that someone who can guard multiple positions. I didn't say yeah. there's got to be a center. Just someone who can guard two, three, four, or three, four, five, or whatever, right? Can guard wings and guard big, and also preferably can shoot. Like, isn't like, well, I got to be under because Jared, um, Jared Allen is is a great rim protector, but he's pretty much offensively around the basket, right? So. All right, so we've described what it is our team needs because we have the ball handling and we have shooting and we've got, you know, scores or whatever. So I'm not knocking Bradley Beal. I think he's a great talent. He's an all-NBA talent, et cetera, et cetera. But does any of what we just described, defense, da 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 they say, get me Bradley Beal. Does that answer any of those questions? Or did you no. just create more questions about, okay, whose turn is it to have the ball? Are you getting enough shots? Am I fulfilled? Because I... that's what it sounds like to me. And I love Bradley Beal. Like Bradley Beal to me, it goes to Miami, excellent, right? Because they need someone like that. 
right? Brooklyn mm. doesn't need I, what he does. You're so right, but it's also like I can't ignore the redundancy of playmaking. This is, I mean, with Spencer Dinwiddie plus Karras and obviously Kevin Durant and Kyrie, like those are assets that you could leverage. I mean, maybe it's just impatient and this is just dumb and you shouldn't even be thinking this way, but um, yeah, I hate to see like that kind of redundancy. No, you know? Absolutely. So you can say we should be packaging this stuff and get help, but it's it's like saying um, I got a I got a TV, uh, I've got a a, a, a PlayStation. Uh, I need some PlayStation games though. So so this is what I'm gonna Mountain Dew Code so This is what I'm gonna do, right? This is what I'm gonna do because yeah. I have six controllers. I only need four. I'm gonna take two of these controllers and I'm gonna go trade them for an xbox okay but that doesn't solve the problem we need games for the playstation we don't we need, need another console we, need we don't need another banjo kazooie i, I traded yeah. guess what guys i went out and i got you know uh <laughs> halo 3 yeah you can't run that on a playstation all right well shit like what do you want halo 3 is is it's, uh, the greatest game ever like but it doesn't matter like we have to be able to build our team with an idea of what the needs are and how they fit and what these solutions, do they fit what we need? And so if I know Kyrie's my guy and I know KD's my guy, then getting Bradley Beal only works as if I change my mind about who my guy is. If I say, well, I kind of like KD and Bradley Beal better and this allows me to trade Kyrie, all right. Then I'm all for the Trader, Trader Joe kind of like going through and swapping things until you get to a place of, of self-actualization but if your whole thing is we need help because we're bad at this we're bad at this we're bad at this and then ooh, a star and then, <laughs> ooh, zach levine's available uh, yeah let's get yeah. zach levine yeah well, um, exactly. i love it i mean thank you for your time hey, no. i appreciate it. i know you gotta go so i really appreciate help next time we'll talk star wars we'll talk about where the galaxy should go from here i'm a little oh, worried they're going super prequel aren't they going super duper like knights of the old republic right they were, but I thought they were getting off that because they let go of Benny off. Oh and no, they, they, that's no they let go of those losers. Yes, they got rid of those those hats. Yeah, but it's still because if you look at the books that they like, they just announced yeah, all, that, that, all that stuff is old Republic stuff, right? Stuff that happened, like and they and they said like one of the the big things is that even though this is like a thousand years ago, that there's going to be a young Yoda or younger Yoda in some of these stories. So, um. And they released the concept art and everything. So we know where at least the written kind of canon books, is going. Yeah. Like, the, are they going to make movies out of the blue? Just like, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it's either because it's either that or we're filling in more blanks like the Mandalorian. I love Mandalorian. But I want to get I'm going to get deeper into Yoda. I want to get afterlife Yoda, like the blue Yoda ghost Yoda. You know? <laughs> I, I feel like it's, where, no, where I feel like most of his life is boring slash probably yeah, being reminded, right, <laughs> being reminded by people how wrong he was, how many different times. He's, so right. he's sitting right in front of Palpatine and like and Palpatine says, Hey, what do you think, Yoda? Like, I don't know. The dark side is clouding. Like, he's sitting in front of you. He's right. He's supposed to be uh, what are you supposed to be? Have like all this supernatural sensing of like mm. danger. The most dangerous so man true. in the galaxy is right in front of you. You're like, I can't tell. It's like <laughs> hey Luke, don't go to Cloud City. It'll end yeah. up bad. Well, <laughs> yeah, what worked worked out. It was yeah. fine. No, but I think I think the other option, no one's going to want this, but is to do episode one and a half, episode two and a half, half, and episode three and a half. But they've already done two and a half, and they've already done three I know, and a half, right? I know. Give us real people. I mean, I love Clone Wars. You don't think Clone Wars, like Clone Wars is probably- Give us real people. What real? Clone Wars is cool, but 
give me some humans on the screen in front of computer generated figures. Oh, you, you want a live action? Oh, you want live action. People, oh, my fault. Okay. All right. Yeah, give me and don't give me Hayden Christensen. Obviously, like I think we need a little bit of time. No, no. I I kind of like to be honest with you. I like the Clone Wars is animated because it allowed the imagination of Filoni and all those guys to go where sure. where they wanted to go and not be bound by uh, all that other stuff. I like as far as three and a half goes. Rogue One to me, like I'm I'm good. I don't need anything more out of that area. Like between Rebels and Rogue One, I'm like that's been covered. Now, if you want to go, see, this is where it gets interesting. Like, if, if, I, if I was going to be in the fill-in-the-blanks fill type of stuff, mm -hmm. I would say episode three and a, uh, four and a half, right? What happens between Darth Vader flying off because his TIE fighter got clipped, saying, what the fuck just happened, mm -hmm. to, oh, yeah, that, that was my son. Like, they never go over that. In the movies, I think one of the comics goes over him finding out that Luke Skywalker is his son. Um, but it's that that would be nice, right? Like to figure that stuff out. So you cast like a Dr. Melfi, yeah, from The Sopranos, yeah, <laughs> and then it's just Darth Vader sitting yeah. on the couch in New Jersey, so, uh, just talking to a Pretty, psychiatrist about his problems, sighing deeply yeah. like Tony Soprano because he's out of out of shape. And stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's eating too much, uh, too, much and... too much regret pie. <laughs> It's a lot of regret. I think that's, that's a fair way to go. Uh, I mean, I know you got to be out. Right. So thanks, man, for your time. No problem, guys. We'll talk to you again. All right, later. Thanks, I mean. No we'll hey, that was a great show. Brian, thank you so much for your time. Oh, Mike. Um, at BKGlue guys on Twitter. Uh, Netsdaily.com. <laughs> uh, we're on The Athletic. 40% off. Glue guys at checkout. Um, is that right? Glue guys at checkout? Glue guys. So actually, there's a new deal from The Athletic. Sorry. It's theathletic.com slash glue guys. Just a dollar. For the first, I don't, there's no like time frame necessarily. It, it depends on the person, what the deal is, but just a dollar per month to begin. It could be for the first month. It could be for the first six months. I, I don't know exactly. Just go to the athletic.com slash glue guys. By the way, our podcast has been one of the better ones at signing subscribers up to the athletic. Is that true? One of the better ones, particularly for our listenership, like per listenership. So I really appreciate it. You guys have been crushing it and it's been noticed at my company. Oh, and we just got a million subscribers just been announced. Big deal. Wow. So we're going to keep rising into the clouds, into the, the glue guys has a million subscribers. I never <laughs> thought I would see the day. Um, Brian, Mike, you did it. Bless you. Bless, Bless you, you back. Brother. Bless you, brother. I'm praying for you. Don't pray for me. <laughs> How dare you? I'm praying for you. Praying don't you. Know don't you pray for me. Here I go. One, one of the three worst things I'm, don't you pray. Brian, <laughs> stick those thoughts back in your brain. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.